Okay, this is uh, the title is Entering the Teen Years. Kita bercakap tentang memasuki ke alam remaja, okay? So in July 2010, I received an email from the frustrated mother of a 19-year-old who had just finished his freshman year of college. The mother had heard me give a talk to parents and teachers in Concord, Massachusetts about the teenage brain. And her email expressed a wide range of emotions from sadness to confusion to anger about the boy whose behavior had suddenly become downright weird. My son gets angry easily, she wrote. He puts a wall around him so he will not he would not talk. He stays up all night and sleeps all day. He stops doing things he used to enjoy. He was once charming, intelligent, outgoing. These days good mood is rare. I thought I did all that hard work to raise him to send him to a very good college and it all ended up like this. Sounds familiar, eh? Nampak macam biasa dengar kan benda ni. Okay, so the woman ended her email with a simple question. How do I help him? Um, Alright, so letters and emails and calls like these are what prompted me to write this book. I'm reading this book called The Teenage Brain by Frances E. Jensen, MD with Amy Ellis Nutt. So letters and emails and calls like these are what prompted me to write this book. Nine months after that, mother asked how she could help her son. I received a similar email, this time from the mother of an 18-year-old girl, her daughter, who had once seemed so level-headed, she wrote, had let her grade slip in high school. She became defiant, ran away from home, and was hospitalized for depression. This year has been difficult for us, the mother wrote. Sometimes it seems as if she has been replaced by an alien. It is because of the behavior and the things that she says. She is a completely different person. I knew how these women felt. At one time, I felt helpless too, because I was nearly divorced as my older son, Andrew, entered adolescence. I was painfully aware that my children's future, as well as their present, was largely up to me. There was no pulling my hair out and saying, go talk to your father about it. When you're a single parent, the buck stops with you. As parents, we want to open a few doors for our kids, that's all, really, to gently nudge them in the right direction. During the childhood, everything seems to go pretty much by plan. Our kids learn what's appropriate and what isn't, when to go to bed and when to get up in the morning, what not to touch, where not to go. They learn the importance of school, of being polite to their elders, and when they are physically hurt or in or emotionally wounded, they come to us seeking solace. So what happens when they reach 14, 15, or 16 years old? How is it that the cute, even-tempered, happy, and well-behaved child you've known for more than a decade is suddenly someone you don't know at all? Okay, so I'm going to repeat this. So what happens when they reach 14, 15, or 16 years old? How is it that the cute, even-tempered, um, happy and well-behaved child you've known for more than a decade is suddenly someone you don't know at all. These are a few things I say to parents right off the bat. The sense of whiplash you are feeling is not unusual. Your children are changing and also trying to figure themselves out. Their brains and bodies are undergoing extensive reorganization and their apparent um, recklessness, rudeness and clueless, cluelessness are not totally their fault. 
Almost all of this is neurologically, psychologically, and physiologically explainable. As a parent or educator, you need to remind yourself of this daily, often hourly. Adolescence is a minefield for sure. It is also a relatively recent discovery. The idea of adolescence as a general period of human development has been around for aeons. But as a discrete period between childhood and adulthood, it can be traced back only as far as the middle of the 20th century. In fact, the word teenager as a way of describing this distinct stage between the ages of 13 and 19 first appeared in print and only in passing in a magazine article in April 1941. Mostly for economic reasons, children were considered mini-adults well into the 19th century. They were needed to sow the, the field, milk the cows, and split the firewood. By the time of the American Revolution, half the population of the new colonies was under the age of 16. If a girl was still single at 18, she was considered virtually unmarriageable. Well, into the early 20th century, children over the age of 10 and often children much younger were capable of most kinds of work either on the farm or later in city factory factories, even if they needed boxes to stand on. By 1900, with the Industrial Revolution in full swing, more than 2 million children were employed in the United States. See, uh, in a way to say that some parts of the world, they have experienced a lot of things before. So, apa yang kita lalu di Malaysia, mungkin we just recently like, you know, exploring. So, um, kalau pun kita nak map, to what has happened before kita kena map ikut masa yang sewaktu itu mereka juga struggle benda yang sama macam kita uh, that's how you do it okay so two things in the decade spanning the middle of the 20th century the great depression and the rise of high schools not only changed attitudes about the meaning of childhood but also helped to usher the era or in the era of the teenager with the onset of the depression after the stock market crash of 1929 Child, lab, child laborers were the first to lose their jobs. The only other place for them was school. Okay, which is why by the end of the 1930s, um, and for the first time in the history of American education, most 14 to 17 year olds were enrolled in high school. Even today, according to a 2003 survey by the National Opinion Research Center, Americans regard finishing high school as the number one hallmark of adulthood. In much of the United Kingdom, a teenager is treated as an adult, even if he or she does not finish high school. And in England, Scotland and Wales, it is legal not only to leave school at age 16, but to leave home and live independently as well. So in the 1940s and 50s, American youth uh, most of whom were not responsible for the economic survival of their families, certainly did not seem like adults, at least not until they graduated from high school. They generally lived at home and were dependent on their parents, and as more and more children found themselves going to school beyond the 8th grade, they became a kind of class unto themselves. They looked different from adults, dressed differently, had different interests, even a different vocabulary. In short, they were a new culture. As one anonymous writer said at the time, young people be became teenagers because we had nothing better for them to do. 
One man foresaw it all more than 100 years ago. The American psychologist Granville Stanley Hall never used the word teenager in his groundbreaking 1904 book about, about youth culture, but it was clear from the title of his 1400-page tome, Adolescence, its psychology and its relations of physiology, anthropology, sociology, sex, crime, religion, and education, that he regarded the time between childhood and adulthood as a discrete developmental stage. To Hall, who was the first American to earn a PhD in psychology from Harvard University and the first president of the American Psychological Association, APA, adolescence was a peculiar time of life a distinct and separate stage qualitatively different from either childhood or adulthood. Adulthood, he said, was akin to the fully evolved man of reason. Childhood, the time of savagery and adolescence, a period of wild exuberance, exuberance which he described as primitive or neo-atavistic, and therefore only slightly more controlled than the absolute anarchy of childhood. Paul's suggestion to parents and educators, um, adolescents shouldn't be coddled, but rather should be corralled, then indoctrinated with the ideals of public service, discipline, altruism, patriotism, and respect for authority. If Hall was somewhat provincial about how to treat the Dawson of storm and stress, he was nonetheless a pioneer in suggesting a biological connection between the Dawson's and puberty and even used a language that presaged neuroscientists' later understanding of the malleability of the brain or plasticity. Again, yeah, I'm going to read this whole suggestion to parents and educators uh, is that adolescents shouldn't be coddled but rather should be corralled, then indoctrinated with the ideals of public service, discipline, altruism, patriotism, and respect for authority. Interesting. So, back to the point where I stopped. Um, it says that character and personality are taking form, but everything is plastic. He wrote, uh, this is with regards to the brain or its plasticity. He wrote referring to pliability, not the man-made product. Self-feeling and ambition are increased, and every trait and faculty is liable to exaggeration and excess. Self-feeling, ambition, exaggeration, and excess, they all helped define teenager for the American public in the middle of the 20th century. The teenager as a kind of cultural phenomenon took off in the post-World War II era. From teeny boppers and boppy, and Bobby Soxers to James Dean in Rebel um, Without a Cause and Holden Caulfield in The Catcher in the Rye. But while the age of adolescence became more defined and accepted, the demarcation between childhood and adulthood remained and remained slippery. As a society, we still carry the vestiges of our centuries old confusion about when a person should be considered an adult. In most of the United States, a person must be between 15 and 17 to drive, 18 to vote, buy cigarettes, and join the military, 21 to drink alcohol, and 25 to rent a car. The minimum age to be a member of the House of Representatives is 25, to be President of the United States, 35, and a minimum age to be a governor ranges among states from no age restriction at all, six states, to a minimum age of 31 Oklahoma. There is generally no minimum age requirement to testify in most courts. 
enter into a contract or sue, request emancipation from one's parents or seek alcohol or drug treatment. But you must be 18 to determine your own medical care or write a legally binding will and in at least 35 states, those 18 or younger must have some type of parental involvement before undergoing an abortion. What a lot of mixed messages we give these teenagers who are not at a stage to read um, through the logic, if there is any, behind how society holds them accountable. Very confusing. And if I can share um, in Malaysia itself, it's not easy kan nak cari baju untuk anak-anak remaja ni. As I remember, as I was growing up, it was so hard to find good dress, good uh, clothing for teenagers each group i was struggling so i was struggling to find for my children as well but now at least the choices are there but before that it was difficult so what does uh, back to the book so what does being a teenager mean man child woman child quasi adult the question is about much more than semantics philosophy philosophy or even psychology because the repercussions are both serious and practical for parents educators and doctors as well as the criminal justice system not to mention teens themselves paul for one believed adolescence began with the initiation of puberty and this is why he is considered the founder of the scientific study of adolescence although he had no empirical evidence for the connection Hall knew that understanding the mental, emotional, and physical changes that happen in a child's transition into adulthood could come only from an understanding of the biological mechanics of puberty. One of the chief areas of focus in the study of puberty has long been hormones, but hormones have gotten a bad rap with parents and educators who tend to blame them for everything that goes wrong with teenagers. I always thought the expression raging hormones made it seem as though these kids had taken a wicked potion or cocktail that made them act with wildest regard for anyone and anything but we are truly blaming the messenger when we cite hormones as the culprit think about it when a three-year-old has a temper tantrum do you blame it on raging hormones of course not we know simply that three-year-olds haven't yet figured out how to control themselves in some ways that's true of teenagers as well and when it comes to hormones, the most important thing, important thing to remember is that the teenager brain is seeing these hormones um, for the first time. Because of that, the brain hasn't yet figured out how to modulate the body's response to this new influx of chemicals. It's a bit like taking that first and hopefully last dra- drag on a cigarette. When you inhale, your face flushes, you feel lightheaded and maybe even a bit sick to your stomach. Scientists now know that the main sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen and progesterone, um, trigger physical changes in adolescents such as a deepening of the voice and the growth of facial hair in boys and the development of breasts and the beginning of menstruation in girls. These sex hormones are present in both sexes throughout childhood. With the onset of puberty, however, the concentration of these chemicals 
change dramatically in girls estrogen and progesterone will fluctuate with the menstrual cycle because both hormones are linked to chemicals in the brain that control mood a happy laughing 14 year old can have an emotional meltdown in the time it takes her to close her bedroom door with boys testosterone finds particularly friendly receptors in the amygdala the structure in the brain that controls the fight or flight response that is aggress- aggression or fear before leaving before leaving adolescence behind a boy can have 30 times as much testosterone in his body as he had before puberty began sex hormones are particularly active in the limbic system which is the emotional center of the brain that explains in part why adolescents not only are emotionally volatile but may even seek out emotionally cha- charged experiences everything from a book that makes her sob to a roller coaster that makes him scream this double whammy a jacked up stimulus seeking brain not yet fully capable of making mature decisions hits teens pretty hard and the consequences to them and their families can sometimes be catastrophic while scientists have long known how hormones work only in the past five years have they been able to figure out why they work the way they do because sex hormones are present at birth they essentially hibernate for more than a decade what then triggers them to begin puberty a few years ago, researchers discovered that puberty is initiated by what appears to be a game of hormonal dominoes, which begins with a gene producing a single protein named kispeptin in the hypothalamus, the part of the brain that regulates metabolism. Interesting, interesting. When that protein connects with or kisses receptors on another gene, it eventually triggers the pituitary gland to release its storage of hormones. Those surges of testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone in turn activate the testes and ovaries. After sex hormones were discovered, for the rest of the 20th century, they became the dominant theory of and favorite explanation for adolescent behavior. The problem with this theory is that teenagers don't have higher hormone levels than young adults. They just react differently to hormones. For instance adolescence is a time of increased responses to stress which may in part be why anxiety disorders including panic disorder typically arise during puberty teens simply don't have the same tolerance for stress that we see in adults teens are much more likely to exhibit stress-induced illnesses and physical problems such as colds headaches and upset stomachs There is also an epidemic of uh, symptoms ranging from nail biting to eating disorders that are commonplace in today's teens. We have a tsunami of input coming at teens from home, school peers, and last but not least, the media and internet that is unprecedented in the history of mankind. Why are adults less susceptible to the effect of all this stimulation? In 2007, um, researchers at the State University of, of New York, SUNY, Downstate Medical Center, reported that the hormone tetrahydropregnanolone THP usually released in response to stress to modulate anxiety has a reverse effect in dozens raising anxiety instead of tamping it down in an adult this stress hormone acts like a tranquilizer in the brain and produces a calming effect about a half hour after the anxiety producing event in adolescents mice THP is ineffective in inhibiting anxiety so anxiety begets anxiety even more so in teens there is real biology behind that
In order to truly understand why teenagers are moody, impulsive, and bored, why they act out, talk back, and don't pay attention, why drugs and alcohol are so dangerous for them, and why they make uh, poor decisions about drinking, driving, sex, you name it, we have to look at their brain circuits for answers. The elevated secretion of sex hormones is a biological marker of puberty, the physiological um, transformation of a child into sexually mature human being, though not yet a true adult. While hormones can explain some of what is going on, there is much more at play in the teenage brain, where new connections between brain areas are being built and many chemicals, especially neurotransmitters, the brain's messengers are in flux. This is why adolescence is a time of true wonder. Because of the flexibility and growth of the brain, adolescents have a window of opportunity with an increased capacity for remarkable accomplishments but flexibility growth and exuberance are a double-edged sword because because an open and excitable brain also can be adversely affected by stress drugs chemical substances and any number of changes in the environment and because of indulgence often overactive brain those influences can result in problems dramatically more serious than they are for adults so that's that for chapter one. I'm going to put a full stop there.